Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Thank you, worship team. That was awesome. Always good, always good. Again, welcome to New Day Vandalia. I'm Andy White. I have a few announcements here um, before the kids go back to Children's Church and the nursery. Um, one of the seats in front of you, there should be a basket with a few things in it. There's a connection card in there that you could fill out any updated information or prayer requests, praises that we can pray for you on that. Also, there would be a little bit about giving. I'll get to that when we pray for the offering. Next weekend is Easter weekend. There will be a Good Friday service at New Day Nichols. That will be live and uh, live stream. It's going to be April 2nd, Friday at 6.30 p.m. I would note that if you're going to watch that on a live stream, you have to get on the New Day Nichols Facebook page to watch that. So... And then on Sunday morning, April 4th, we will have a, an Easter brunch at 10 a.m. And then our Easter celebration service will follow that. So I encourage you to invite somebody. Bring a friend or two or ten. Fill it up. We'll see what happens. Um, the following weekend, April 11th, will be Mark and Amber's last week with us here. And we are going to have a farewell celebration for them. Um, we'll have the service at regular time at 10 a.m. Uh, it'll be a great Sunday of celebration. And then we're going to have a lunch afterwards to celebrate the time that Mark and Amber um, have dedicated to Vandalia. And then on April 18th, Pastor Cameron will be here. And he will give a service um, with the leadership team in Vandalia, so the Wagners, the Hughes, the Ebies, and the Yoders to update the transition here in Vandalia and what's going to be happening um, just to uh, just to see what's up, I guess. <laughs> I guess. But I mean, just to communicate what, what the vision is and what's going to be happening, I guess. so. And then the men's retreat at Bear Lake. It's going to be April 30th. It starts Friday, April 30th. It'll go through Sunday, May 2nd. It is for men age 16 and above. And if you could register for that, it would be at blbc.com slash men's dash retreat. And that should be in the weekly email. So with that, kids, children's church, nursery, nurseries for ages six months to three years and children's church up to fourth grade. As Mark and I were praying before service um, about announcements, it just kind of with that, some of the songs today, just God, you, you know, you, we have to remember God is for us. He is working for us, with us. Um, and kind of the last couple of days, what's been on my mind is like just hope that we could be a light in the darkness. It's kind of funny how all that works, but that's just kind of what I was thinking was that we 
just encourage everybody to be a light in the darkness for Jesus and for everybody around. So that's kind of what was on my mind. But let's pray for the offering and bring Mark up. Dear Heavenly Father, just we thank you for the community that we have here. Thank you for the work that you're doing uh, when we don't see it. And just pray for this community. Pray for our church that we can stay focused on you in this time of transition. We pray for Mark and Amber, that you would be with them, give them peace in this transition as well. We know that it is for you. We need to keep that in mind, Lord. Just ask that you would speak through Mark today uh, and speak to each one of us through him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you. Uh, today, we are wrapping up our eight-week series called The Arc of the Bible, From Creation to New Creation. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I've had a good time. And isn't that what's really important? Um, and so what we've been doing is spending the last seven weeks and finishing today uh, looking from a kind of a 30,000-foot view of the story that God is, is telling in, in the Bible. And I'll just do a quick recap of the last seven weeks. Um, we have learned that God is the star of this story, right? He is the main character. And God enters in, I guess I sang a little bit much this morning. Uh, so God enters into uh, the, the narrative, the eternal one comes, and he speaks all that is into creation, and he makes a good creation. He makes humanity as the, the pinnacle of that creation, calling them to uh, be co-rulers with him on the earth, spreading his kingdom, spreading his peace and wholeness and joy across the globe. Uh, but humanity in our sin and our selfishness chose to rebel against God, ate the forbidden fruit which brought sin, death, and corruption into our good creation. But God, in Genesis 3, speaks to the woman and, and promises that a seed, right, a descendant, would come that would crush the head of the serpent that would set all things right again. We fast forward to... Uh, God's calling of a man named Abraham. And Abraham uh, lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. And God called him and said, leave your land, leave your family, leave everything you know, and go to a place that I'm going to show you. And he makes these amazing promises to Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation. Right? I am going to bring you into your own land. All who blessed you will be blessed. All who cursed you will be cursed. Right? I'm going to bless all the nations through you. And so throughout the story of Genesis, the, the family of Abraham, which becomes Israel, is growing. But at the end of Genesis, they're stuck. Right? They are a growing nation, but they are in slavery in Egypt. And for 400 years, the, the, the Pharaoh uh, oppresses Israel. And then God hearing their cries, raises up a man named Moses. And Moses stands up and comes in and leads the people of Israel through the power of God out of Egypt. Right? God thwarts the, the major world power that anybody knew, Egypt, 
proving that Yahweh, that he is God. Right? And so Moses takes the people out towards the promised land. Joshua brings the people into the promised land. And now we have a great nation. We've got descendants of Abraham in the right place. Will they be a blessing to the nations, fulfilling the call that God gave to Abraham hundreds of years before? No, they will not. They're bad people. They're bad ones. And, well, anyway. And so for 400 years, we have the book of Judges where this cycle of sin and idolatry gets darker and darker. And Israel fails in their ability to bear witness of God, to bring his blessing and salvation to the nations. Uh, Eventually, they call for a king. They want to be like all the other nations and Samuel, through the leading of God, the main character, anoints Saul. Saul doesn't work out. Uh, God says, all right, anoint David. And David is raised up as, as king to replace Saul. And Saul, uh, David is the king by whom all other kings of Israel and Judah are measured. David is a man after God's own heart. And he has his issues. We know that. right? But he has a repentant heart and a desire to live a life that's pleasing to God. And so God makes a covenant and a promise to David. And he says, one of your sons will sit on the throne of David forever. So this thing seemed to be going well. Solomon has uh, an amazing reign. And Israel is, is prospering and their land is expanding. But Solomon falls into the same sin that Israel tends to do. Idolatry and corruption and injustice. The nation is divided into two, and the northern uh, ten tribes of Israel are eventually, because of their sin and idolatry, are taken into captivity by Babylon in seven-something, seven-something B.C., and they are taken up into Assyria, dispersed, and no one ever hears from them again. 150, later, 150 years later, in 586 B.C., uh, Judah is captured by Babylon, also taken into captivity. The, the city of Jerusalem and the temple is destroyed. Israel is, is dispersed. They're in a foreign land. There's no king. There's no temple. They've failed, right? They can't possibly fulfill this thing that God has called them to do. But the prophets rise up and say, you guys are reaping the consequences of your sin. But just wait, God has not forgiven his promise or forgotten his promises. He has made a covenant with Israel and he will see you through. He will bring you back into the land, but be faithful to Yahweh. And uh, and so eventually, 70 years later, Israel is brought back into um, Israel. The people are brought back into the land of, of Israel. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the walls. Things are going well. Could it be now they're back in the right place? Could they now fulfill this call of God in in their life? There's still some problems. They're still oppressed by foreign leaders. There's not a king on the throne. There's some problems. We're waiting for the Messiah who the, the prophets promised. 400 years of silence. 400 years of waiting. And then on a hill outside of... Bethlehem, the angels show up to the the shepherds and saying, today a Savior has been born, a Son has been given, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we find in the person of Jesus the fulfillment of the law, that what humanity, what every king and judge and leader of Israel was 
unable to do, Jesus, the perfect one, the Son of God, did. And so he went to the cross bearing uh, the punishment for our sin, taking on our, our, our shame and our judgment so that we, as we bend our knee to King Jesus, as we enter into his kingdom, we can step into abundant life. And then Jesus is exalted. He goes up into uh, the, the, the heavens. I don't know where he goes, right? He's seated at the right hand of God. And then from that exalted position, he pours out the Holy Spirit on the remnant of the church. And from there, he calls them to be Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses in Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the book of Acts continues this story of the gospel of King Jesus being spread to the ends of the earth. That was a very short version of the, of the story. I'm pretty... <laughs> no big whoop. No big whoop. Uh, yeah, and so, and so the, the, the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison in Rome waiting trial. But he's continuing to proclaim the, the good news of Jesus. To all who come to visit him. He's writing letters to churches that he has founded. And with Paul being there, and we know in the in history tells us that he was martyred under the, the emperor, but the book of Acts ending with Paul alive and proclaiming the, the word in, uh, in Rome is kind of this hopeful feeling that the story of God is continuing. And so while we find that Paul and the early church reached Rome in the, the biblical story, uh, the, the outward expansion of the kingdom of God that began in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to, uh, to the ends of the earth is continuing and continuing. It's rippling out. And now, at the end of the book of Acts, it's as if, not as if, it is that we are now called to be these Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses to the ends of the earth, right? We take the baton and we continue the story. And here's the thing, it's not our story, right? It's, it's God's story. And so this is a little bit hard to see, but we've covered a lot of territory, creation, Abraham, Egypt, Judges, the Kings, the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the, uh, the crucifixion, the exaltation, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, and now, here we are. Right? We're not just like, it's not like just a good story. Like, oh, it's, it, I mean, it is a good story, but it's not just this kind of narrative that we learn and go, okay, that's exciting. You know, what are some, you know, some truths that we can take out of that? No, we are part of this arc of history. Right? We find ourselves right here continuing the work that God is doing. And all through here, we see God using fallible, messed up people. We talked about Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Saul and David. These guys were all numbskulls in one way or another, right? And so that gives us hope because guess what? We're all numbskulls too, right? We're just barely getting by. And yet God says, I want you to take the baton to be my Holy Spirit-empowered witness to your sphere of influence, right? And we're thousands and thousands of miles from where Jesus said that. Like, we're literally the ends of the earth. Nobody even, it wouldn't even have occurred to them to, that this place existed. And here we are, taking the baton. And so this is what I want to talk about today, is how do we take the story of God 
and find our life and our direction within this story. So N.T. Wright, some of you guys are familiar with N.T. Wright, a great uh, Bible scholar. He uh, has a lecture that you can look up, you can Google it. Uh, it's called "How Can the Bible Be Authoritative?" And within this uh, within this lecture, he he gives an example that I I thought was helpful. We'll see if you guys we'll see if you guys find it helpful. Uh, it, it just helps me as we kind of think: What do we do with this story that we've heard, and how we live out of it? And so N.T. Wright says: Imagine that there is a a Shakespeare play whose fifth act has been lost. Uh, the first four acts, he says, provide, this is a quote, such a crescendo of excitement within the plot that it is generally agreed that the play ought to be staged. Right? The first four acts are so good, we need to figure out how this thing is going to end. And so all the important parts are given to highly trained and experienced Shakespearean actors who immerse themselves in the first uh, four acts of the play. They learn the the language of Shakespeare. They learn the, the culture of Shakespeare and his time. And as they inundate themselves in the four acts and in Shakespeare's culture and language, they are told to work out how this fifth act is going to play. And so the result that we would have is that these first four acts are the, the authority that speaks about how the fifth act is supposed to play out. They, the first four acts show how the characters would act. They tell us about the plots that need to be resolved. They teach us the themes that are in play and the things that will guide this last act. And the actors would then enter the story as it was in order to understand how the threads could appropriately be drawn together and then put that understanding into action. Okay? I don't know if that's helpful for you, but it's this idea of like we're learning from the first four acts. We don't know what exactly the fifth act looks like, but we're stepping into it. And what guides us is everything that came before. Right? And so this actually happened kind of. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Robert Jordan. He's a fantasy author. Uh, he wrote a series called um, The Wheel of Time. And he, it's ridiculously long. I tried reading. I got through three books. They're all like 900 pages or something. I'm like, this guy's verbose. And, uh, and so it was a very popular story. But he died before he could finish the last book. He left a bunch of notes so that somebody else could finish his book. And this guy named Brian Sanderson takes these notes and is like, wow, there's a lot of story here. And he writes three more 900-page books to wrap up this series. There's 14, like, it's like 14,000 pages of the Wheel of Time series. It's a bonkers. So, uh, but anyway, the point is, right, that this other guy had to finish the story, right? And, and in a sense, that's kind of what we have as we are looking at the arc of the Bible. We've got five acts, creation, fall, uh, Israel, Jesus, and then we have the fifth scene, which is the church. And the first scene of that act is found in the New Testament. And luckily, the New Testament also gives us some hints about how this whole thing is going to wrap up. We can see in Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 15, the very end of Revelation, Mark 13, 
we see that there, oh, there's going to be a, a new heaven and a new earth, right? Jesus is coming back to, to set all things right again. So we know kind of how this play is going to end. But we find ourselves here in the second scene of the fifth act. We know what has come before us. We know who God is. We know why he created. We know uh, his character. We know what our characters are supposed to be like. We know what the main problem is. It's sin and death. All right. We know that God is faithful when we are not. We know that he sent his son Jesus to fulfill what humanity was unable to do. We know that if we bend our knee to him, we enter into life. But we also know that his heart is to bring as many people into this new kingdom, into this way of Jesus as possible so that they too can find salvation that we can get as many people into this kingdom fulfilled where there's no sin or death or pain or crying as possible. And so here we are in the in-between. Right? The, the kingdom has been inaugurated, but it's not come in its fullness. Right? Our prayer is to see the, the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. And we numbskulls as we are, are the conduits of that grace and that goodness and that kingdom reality. I've never said numbskull from the pulpit before, and I've said it three times today. That's great. That's interesting. I don't know. Maybe it's prophetic. No, it's not. It's not. So here we are in the in-between time. So how do we live this out? Well, we have a little bit of help. We have uh, the epistles, um, which were letters that Paul and John and James and other New Testament authors uh, wrote to the, the, the growing uh, churches that Paul and others planted in the, the story of, of Acts. And these are letters are written to particular communities in a particular time to help them interpret Jesus in their communities. It, it, because Paul and James, they realized that the life, death, resurrection, exaltation of Jesus changes everything. Like we as Jews, I'm not a Jew, we're not Jews, we're Gentiles. But in the first century, Paul's like, man, we as Jews have kind of gotten out of step with what the law was actually trying to do. And so Paul and the others are reinterpreting it in the light of Jesus. And so they are looking at these little communities and going, this is what the way of Jesus looks like in Galatia. And this is what the way of Jesus looks like in Colossae or in Corinth or what have you. Paul's desire is to see these little uh, churches, these little new communities grow in their spiritual maturity and their Christ-likeness so that they can continue the mission of being uh, a blessing and bringing salvation to the nations so that as many people can be brought in as possible. And so in uh, Ephesians, and, and, and actually in 1 Corinthians 3 as well, but we're looking at Ephesians this morning, Paul pictures the church as this, this new temple. This new temple of God where God actually lives through the Holy Spirit. Uh, he says this in Ephesians 2. In Him, Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so Paul pictures the church as 
a, a new temple. As a, as a, as it, and we are individually, we have the Holy Spirit in us individually, but what Paul is talking about here is our communal representation of the presence of God. This little church community, New Day Community Church in, in Vandalia, bears witness of the presence of God as we come together in unity. It's not just each of us individually. It is us together bearing witness of the presence of God. And as I think about this, I am reminded of our story many weeks ago when God told Moses to, to build the, uh, the tabernacle, the dwelling place, where he told Moses to, to build the Ark of the Presence, which represented God's presence within, the Israel, within Israel. And in their marching orders, they were commanded uh, to have, how many tribes were there, 12 tribes? Oh my goodness. Six tribes in front and six tribes in back as they're marching through the wilderness. And the, and the, the Levites, the priests carrying the tabernacle and the ark were right in the center of it. And when they set up their camp, they, they all surrounded the, the temple, the presence of God. Right? And it represents that God's blessing and his anointing and his leadership are there at the center of the camp. Right? We don't have a tabernacle anymore. The temple's destroyed. The, the New Testament says that we are the temple. Right? And so now, how do we do this in Vandalia? How do we do this in Cass County? How do we bear witness of the presence of, of God in these places? And spoiler alert, it is not through militaristic power. It is not through getting on our milk crate and shaming people and telling people how bad they are. It's actually by bearing witness of the, the person of Jesus who loves and is hospitable, willing to, to serve the outcasts. And it is this kindness that draws people to the presence of God. So now we are this temple. We are continuing the mission given to Abraham and given to the church. And how do we do that? Well, I think we see a hint of it in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We're called to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. At the end of Avengers Endgame, you guys have seen it, I'm sure. Dave? Maybe this afternoon that could be like your Bible study. Just watch Avengers. And actually, there's like 15 movies to watch up to that point. That might take more than today. Anyway, so at the end of Avengers Endgame, this is Captain America. He's a superhero. And uh, he passes the shield on to Sam Wilson. Right? And Sam Wilson, the, the Falcon. And Captain America says, Sam, how does that, how's that shield feel? And and Sam says, well, it feels like it belongs to someone else. And Captain America says, nope, it belongs to you. And I don't know if you're watching uh, Winter Soldier and what's it called? Falcon and Winter Soldier. And it, it, this is non-spoilers, I've only seen the first episode. It seems like, seems like Sam is having some difficulty with what to do with this responsibility, this call that he has been given. Right? And so he actually gives the shield to the Smithsonian, which doesn't seem like a great choice. But anyway, 
but the, my point is that God, just like Captain America gives Sam this shield, God has given us a calling, right? And he says, it's time to live up to this calling. Captain America is calling the Falcon to something, to live up to all that it means to be Captain America, right? Uh, the, all the symbology of, of whatever that is. We won't get into that. But, right, it's a call to live up into this calling, and Sam doesn't think he can do it. Well, God has given you a call. He's given you a shield. And we often think, man, I'm a numbskull. I, don't have, I can't take up this call. But you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill what God has called you to do. You have what it takes. Just like Captain America believes in the Falcon, God believes in you. Amber's laughing at me. I don't know why. It's a good analogy. Praise the Lamb. That's good. So what does it look like then to take on this calling? Well, we find out in, chapter, in verses 2 through 13. Right? In Israel, when Jesus came back, they constantly misunderstood him. Even after his death on the cross, at the very beginning of Acts, they're kind of walking down the street with the resurrected Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, now are you going to raise up a, a military so that we can overthrow these Roman oppressors? And he's like, no, you guys. How long is it going to take you to figure this out? What it looks like to, to live a life worthy of the calling is to take on the shape of the cross, to take on the way of Jesus, which is the way of humility and gentleness. And patience. So often in our lives, we can take these kinds of things and we think, yeah, those are going to be great in the kingdom someday. But, but God, Jesus, you don't understand. We live in, in the United States and it's time for us to fight for our rights. Otherwise, we're going to get trampled on. But the way of the cross is humility and gentleness and patience. And as Jesus walked these things out, this was where we saw his greatest victory. His ascension to the throne was an ascension to the cross, trusting that God was going to take care of it as long as they, as, as he... Uh, took on this cross shape or this cruciform life. Anyway, humility, gentleness, patience. We also see in Ephesians 4 the, the way of Jesus is bearing with one another in love. Paul knew that these new communities weren't going to be problem-free. There is going to be bearing with one another involved. As people make choices and decisions that we don't like, as we maybe we even disagree with, right? And yet we're called to bear with one another. He calls us to, to work to stay in unity. Right? And like Luke said this morning, we are entering into a season, uh, this transition season, and it's kind of this wildernessy time. And in the midst of a wilderness, right, it can be it can feel 
disorienting. It can feel, there can be this like kind of doubtfulness and like questioning and worry and what's this going to happen, what's going to happen and what's it's going to look like. Can we trust this person? Can we trust that person? And there's just something about the wilderness that brings disunity. But that's the absolute last thing we need right now, right? We need to embrace this. Yeah, it's a tough place. But we are going to follow the way of Jesus, follow the way of the cross, and work hard for unity. We're not going to allow offense or fear or disunity to come and disturb what God is trying to do in our community. Uh, following the living a life worthy of the calling, it's like faithfulness to God and service to others. And this is the unchanging mission of the church. As we are the presence of God in our communities. But what this looks like in different communities at different times is going to change. The early church was struggling with the the Jew-Gentile division. Not so much an issue for us anymore. They're struggling with Gnosticism, which was this early church heresy that was destroying the church. Uh, later on in the second and third century, they were struggling with who is Jesus? How does he relate to God? Who is the Holy Spirit? Is he actually God? You know, they're wrestling through these things. And we pretty much have that stuff hashed out now. Um, but guess what? We've got our own stuff. Every generation of the church has their own stuff. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but there's some tension in the church about gender and sexuality. There's some, there's some tension in the church about how do we be faithfully Christian in a democracy, right? In this, in, the, in this republic with a constitution where we have a little bit of power, we got this vote. How do we live as Christians in that? Well, guess what? There's some disagreement there. We've got to work it out. How do we live faithfully in a pluralistic society where we live? This actually isn't new. We just have new plurals. Um, it's a weird thing to say. How do we handle systemic racism in our nation? How do we, uh, what's the appropriate role of women, whether in leadership or ministry and in society? Like this crazy, that's just, there's still questions, right? Um, I'm sorry, I said crazy. This is still questions. Uh, what is our correct Christian response to a worldwide pandemic? Guess what? There's disagreements about that. I don't know if you noticed, right? How do we reckon as Christ followers with creation care. You know know what Paul didn't address is how do we use social media appropriately? How do we use technology appropriately? Is it good? Is it bad? Well, he doesn't address it. We kind of have to infer what he's saying there. And on and on it goes. And so there's big stuff that we are wrestling through. And But in addition to this big ideas that we're trying to figure out, we're also called, we see it in, in, uh, in all the, the letters, many of the letters of, of Paul, is how do we just live good lives, right? The, the social media question and how to be a good Christian there, how to be a, a Democrat or Republican, a Christ follower, like, those are important things that we need to wrestle through, but we cannot let those supersede, like, oh, you have to be a good spouse. You have to love your wife well, Right? We're, children are called to be obedient. Are there any children here? Children are called to be obedient. And parents are called to, 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 to love their kids, right? 
Bosses are called to be just and kind to their employees. Employees are called in, in the way of Jesus to be excellent employees. And so the reality of Jesus, this taking on the mission of Jesus has kind of these big pieces as we are, are thoughtful in our communities and in our current culture, but it's also super duper practical. And as you go on a date with your wife, you are bringing the kingdom of God. Don't, we don't want to kind of say that that's not important or that isn't isn't what we're called to do, that, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's an important thing, but how do I bring the kingdom? You bring the kingdom by loving your spouse well. You bring the, bring the kingdom by keeping your kids fed. I know this family, I was talking about discipleship, and they're like, oh, we just don't have time to disciple. I'm like, you got all these little people, you're discipling. Like, you're doing it, right? This is valid Christian work. Don't overlook that. This is how we bring the kingdom. This is how we live missional lives. And so this is where we find ourselves in the story of God, in this in-between time. Looking forward to Jesus coming back, but recognizing that we are on mission right where we're at. And in Galatians, i got a few minutes here. In Galatians 3.29, Paul writes this. He says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Right? We are Abraham's seed. Right? We are uh, grafted into the people of Israel. We are the spiritual heirs of Abraham. And being an heir of this promise, if we kind of dig into what Paul is talking about in Galatians, it doesn't mean that this we are heir of the promise to go to heaven when we die. Like, that's true. Pro- I mean, maybe. Probably. It's, it's true. There's a new heaven and a new earth. We get to be with God forever. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but it's good. Right? And that's, but that's not the story. Uh, you don't have the picture. That's not the story. Right? We're not just called to hunker down and wait for Jesus to come back. No, we are called into mission. We are heirs of the promise, the promise to bring to be a blessing to all nations. We are heirs of the promise to be God's blessing and salvation and presence in Cass County. We're all on mission. In Return of the Jedi, in Return of the Jedi, at the very end, the rebellion is on mission. They are trying to destroy the, the Death Star. It's actually the second Death Star. But if you have questions, we can talk about this afterwards. Uh, and so they're on mission to, to destroy the second Death Star. But not everybody's doing the same thing, right? We've got Lando and Nine Numb leading the, uh, the space battle here, kind of attacking. And they're going to drop some bombs in there to blow the thing up. But there, uh-oh, there's a shield, and so that means that Han and Leia and the group has to go down to the forest moon of Endor, partner up with the, with the Ewoks down there, and destroy the shield generator uh, so that they can fulfill their part of the mission. And then Luke surrenders himself to Darth Vader to try to redeem him, to overthrow the Emperor. Right? And so there's all these different things happening. It's a very exciting movie. I'd recommend it. Maybe that would be the movie to watch this afternoon. I don't know. There's so many options. And, uh, and, and so they're all doing these different things, but they're all super important, and they're all fulfilling the same mission. 
right? And so, in the same way, we... I really forced this one in there, but whatever, it's fine. So, in the same way, we don't have... Our mission is the same, right? We are fulfilling, taking the baton, fulfilling this mission that God has given us to be a blessing to all nations, to bring the knowledge of Him to the ends of the earth. But it's going to look different. And that's okay. And that's good. Right? And so if you are a stay-at-home mom, or if you are a farmer, or if you're a lawyer, or you work in construction, like all these things are going to look a little bit different, but we are all on mission. We're all on mission together. And it doesn't matter if you're just this, you're kind of these primitive Ewoks down there, kind of putting some logs together to crush ADATs, or, well, APSTs, let's be realistic. Um, and, uh, or if you are up in the space battle, it doesn't matter where you're at. You are part of the mission that God is doing here in Cass County. Okay, we'll move on from that. That's fun to talk about. So what is our mission? What is it that we are supposed to accomplish? Well, the New Testament gives us some clues. And here's the thing. I know a lot of young people that are really struggling with this, like, what am I supposed to do? God has a purpose. Should I go to Western Michigan or go to Central Michigan? I'm probably, God doesn't care that much. He cares. He super cares. He cares about every decision you make. He's not worried about what university you go to. He doesn't care if you go to MSU or U of M, right? Um, and we, Amber and I were at a wedding last night, and we love weddings. And it's like, people are really worried. Like, what if this is, the, is this the right person or the wrong person? It's like, but once you say I do, they're the right person. Like, you just, it's, you just, it's just done, right? It's like, just go with that, right? You didn't make a mistake. And so it, there's, and so there's these uh, questions of like, oh, I got to find this one narrow little path that God has for me. I think it's easier than that. I think that we can live lives that are incredibly pleasing to God, whether we choose to, you know, to go to this place or that place, to take this job or to take that job. Paul says in Colossians 13, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever it is that you find yourself doing, you can do it to the glory of God. And he's happy with you. He's pleased with you. We see, of course, the, the great commandment in uh, Matthew 22, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself. That is an unchanging mission of the church. And so we need to find ourselves doing that all the time. Am I loving God and loving people? If you're doing that, you're doing good. And then the great commission to, to, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach people the way of Jesus. If we are doing these things, whatever your hand finds to do, you have found the will of God, and you are pleasing to Him, and you are carrying out your mission. The parent, the husband, wife, employee, boss, whatever it is. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness of the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. And I've gone long. So we will conclude here and just by saying that we have endurance to keep on uh, walking out this mission 
because we do know the end of the story. The promise given to Eve so long ago has come. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to set all things right again, and He's coming again, uh, and He will bring all who believe in Him into eternal life. This place, the new kingdom and the new or the new heaven and the new earth where sin, death, pain, fear, and tears are done away with. And so I want to end by reading a few verses from 2 Peter 3, which tells us a bit about where we're heading. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your salvation. God, we thank you for this amazing story that you're telling. And we thank you that we are part of it. Lord, help us to to live this out well. Help us to glorify you in everything that we do. Whatever we say, whatever we do, let us do it to your glory. Lord, help us to to be your Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses to Cass County so that you are made famous here. Lord Jesus, we love you. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for bearing with me. Um, We had some longer sermons in this long series, so we'll tighten that up next week. So, all right, you guys are dismissed. Thank you so much. And there's coffee and donuts in the family room. Have a fantastic Sunday.